What's going on, everybody? Sam Brown here again with episode number 12 of the In Between Sets podcast. Uh, This episode, I brought on an absolute favorite human being of mine, uh, Alexander Bromley of Empire Barbell, uh, strongman competitor, high-end strongman competitor, strength coach, uh, runs Empire Barbell on YouTube, uh, online coach. He does all the things. He has his own podcast. He writes books. An absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to coaching, programming, um, it, just anything that has to do with getting stronger. This guy does a tremendous job of that. Um, I actually found his videos uh, a few years back and have used a lot of them for my own programming, for my own coaching, for just uh, uh, to have a better understanding of periodization, of exercise selection, of it just like I said, a complete wealth of knowledge if your goal is to get yourself or other people you know strong. Um, Bromley is an absolute phenomenal human because he is not only a great coach, but he's a high-end athlete as well, competing in America's Strongest Man, uh, just a ton of high-level strongman competitions, uh, an absolute unit (laughs) when it comes to strength. Um, But this episode is about an hour 15 or hour 20 minutes long. We could have kept talking for hours and hours and hours, but trying to keep these short, concise, and actionable. So guys, this episode, as with all the other episodes, is brought to you by Practice Movement and Recovery. Practicemovement.com for all of your training, coaching, and consultation needs. Uh, Click the links down below uh, if you're looking for an online coach, if you're looking for programming, if you're looking for anything that has to do with getting stronger, uh, getting in better shape, boosting performance, feeling better, please let me know uh, at at (laughs) Empire Barbell, right? See, I'm pimping out fucking Bromley in my own paid ads. Uh, Practicemovement.com. All right, enough of this talking shit. This bills are paid here. Um, Yeah, so here we go. Episode number 12 of the In Between Sets podcast with Alex Bromley. I'll start recording here, and we're good. We're live. This is this is the most official fucking way to start a podcast is to make sure all your stuff works. Um, I usually do the intro before, but Alex Bromley, man, like you were one of the people that I've wanted to talk to, and I was just fucking gushing about you prior to even recording this for anybody that doesn't realize this. But I have known Alex Bromley and everything he's been doing in the online space for years years and years and years that as long as you've been doing it, I've been kind of watching what you've been doing and watching the material that you come out with and just watching your athletic performance and everything. And I'm a huge fan. So thank you for jumping on the podcast with me. This is an absolute pleasure and I'll shut the fuck up. (laughs) Uh, No, thanks so much for having me, man. Like I was telling you before watching your podcast, take off the heavy hitters you've had on. I'm honored to be in this chair. So, uh, I think you got something big going on here, so I'm, I'm going to do my best to do it justice. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, and, and right before we started recording, we kind of touched upon um, the world of creating content for a living and creating content and, and YouTube and podcasts, and Alex, you've been able to do that on a, a pretty high level in terms of just you standing in front of a whiteboard, creating these videos that have literally just been like, oh, I'm a fucking idiot. I can't believe I programmed like this before. I need to do something like what what you're saying. 
but then you're also breaking into podcasts yourself. You're you're kind of going all over the place. What sort of things, like sort of directions are you taking what you're doing and, and everything that you got going on online? Yes, um, I've been doing the YouTube thing for, I want to say about three years since mm -hmm. I put my first video out. And oddly enough, the first video I ever did to this day is the biggest. I did it on how to cut weight, you know, how I lost 35 pounds in five days. Yep. And that's when I used to, you know, be more of a fat shit than I am now. <laughs> and I would get into the middleweight class coming down from like 266. And uh, I, I just did a video. Now, of course, all those views are, you know, housewives that think they're going to lose 35 pounds in, in a day. So I go out of my way to clarify. But um, I've been doing it for about three years. I've really tried to make the content focused on things that are actionable because I'm I'm not, I would say, talented. Um, you can ask any high school coach I've had. I can't jump high. I can't run fast. I don't have a good sense of my body. I'm kind of clumsy. <clears throat> and I'm whatever I've accomplished is entirely because I've been stubborn and I've grinded through and I learned a lot of hard lessons the hardest way possible. So I really liked the, the opportunity I had to be able to get in front of a camera and try to make some of this stuff that isn't explicitly said, but is absolutely necessary to doing any of this right mm -hmm. to try to make that more accessible to people. So that's really what I tried to focus on as far as like, my content direction. I'm just, I'm, I'm grasping at straws. I'm constantly experimenting with new things. I don't commit to like one type of thing. And it's been good because I've stumbled across some things that work out well, but this year I'm kind of committed to like having a plan and a structure because I need to like increase my content output and I need to make sure it's good. Mm -hmm. You know, I can only experiment for so long. So yeah, it's been kind of a trip. I'm a one man show um, mainly because I don't play well with others. And when it comes to creative stuff, I don't like to make myself vulnerable. I don't like to have other people edit my stuff. I don't like to have people read my books before they're completely finished. Mm -hmm. um, it, so like I'm right now repurposing uh, a lot of the videos I do, I'm making sure that I make the videos in a way that it makes sense on a podcast. And it's mm -hmm. like, okay, cause those are likely two different audiences. There might be a little bit of overlap, but you, you know, two different audiences there. And then I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm better with running stuff on my website and accessing people on my email list. And it, there's a lot that goes into it, but it's been a huge learning experience. And uh, I'm, I'm chipping away. I'm probably a ways away before I'm, uh, I'm at the place where, you know, it's like you've made it. But, um, you know, the feedback I've gotten has been great. So I'm just really excited to have the opportunity to do this for a living. Mm -hmm. Now, that's for those who don't know or not in this space, when you say you're a one man show, I just got chills because I was like, oh, God, that's so many things to worry about. Like one piece of content can go YouTube, can go on a podcast, can go as fuck as part of a new book, as like whatever it is. And it's like you always have to be thinking about how best you can use that piece of information. And I, when I was at Elite, that was the hardest thing is like we had so much information and so many places to put it. So for you to be able to do that one-man show for – this many years, like props to you, man. Like that shit is hard. Yeah. And it's easy to get paralysis by analysis. And I've certainly been guilty of that. Um, on the one hand, there is like an efficient workflow you need to find mm. to make sure you're hitting minimum tasks and that you do make the most out of the information you have. But on the other hand, some of the best advice I got, uh, there was a video I watched about like repurposing content. They just said, it sounds good, 
but most of the time, given how content has to be subtly different for each platform, most of the time it's actually faster just to do something original for that. So I went through a long time where I was trying to just, I was a hoarder. I was just trying to hold on to every neat quote I came up with. Right, right. Every, every you know, picture, every piece out of a book, every Instagram, whatever. Um, and right now I'm just focusing on keeping it simple. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sticking to whiteboard stuff or doing like slideshow presentations uh, on YouTube. People respond to that pretty well. And that keeps me organized so I don't ramble for an hour and a half on a podcast because I'm not interviewing anybody. <laughs> and it's just me going into the woods, you know, like a, a drunk old man. And um, no, that's not fun for anybody. So yeah, yeah, finding systems at work is definitely a big part of all this. Well, it's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because one of the biggest draws that I had with a lot of your uh, videos in terms of programming and exercise selection is you break things down in such a simple, systematic way, right? You take the big principles of block periodization, of why you hate West Side, wink, wink, all of this stuff, like all, <laughs> but it's, it's, it takes, for that. yeah, Come right, on. exactly. No, but it's, it's one of those things where it, it's a very, as you know, a lot of people love the nuance. They love the, the fine details with things, but it's like, we need to understand the base principles, right? The base principles of programming, of progression, of, of what we're trying to do, because just from the conversations I've had with a lot of the, the elite audience and, and, and Instagram and whatnot is, is they think the program they pick is magic. Right. And it's less about the principles yeah. that go into that program. Right. So that's one of the things 100%. that you've done such a great job of like ripping the fucking curtain back, be like, pay all the attention to the man behind the curtain to know what the fuck's going on. Right. Yeah, completely. And that's been, um, that's been something I found out for myself and then applied to people that I had influence over. And it was extremely, validating to hear it repeated back. I mean, guys like, uh, Josh Bryant, Ed Cohen's one of my favorite quotes he has. He's like, it doesn't matter what you do, make it work mm -hmm. because people think the program is all. And if I'm doing this series of actions and I'm not getting to where I want to be, that must mean I need a different program. And it's kind of logical when you're getting in to think like, Oh, well, this is what gets me stronger. I'm not responding to this. Let's try something else. Whereas there is and this is one of the reasons I get hypercritical of the evidence-based community because they lean on uh, a lot of studies where it's very hard to control for all of the variables that go into everything because for one program, there's a million different tweaks you can do to one program and people will still call it the same program. So when you do something, you have to commit for a period of time to run this organization of training, titrate, make little decisions as needed, not just because you want to fuck around with the program, and figure out what gets you the best result. And after you've done that for a certain period of time, you'll have like a level of comfort with that arrangement of training. You'll know what, what stuff is important, what stuff to look towards. And it's just as much art as science because you're, you're looking for patterns and our brains are really just shitty pattern recognition machines. So you're trying to figure out what the meaningful patterns are and what the junk patterns are. That's like superstition that it doesn't really mean anything. Now, what you said about the, the nuance, that's really important because Yes, as you start to get specialized, you start to get really good. You need all of this little specialized information to get the most, you know, to get the sprinkles on top, to get the sharpest edge at the end of your blade. But the things that jettison guys with 200 pound benches to 400 pound benches, it's like the 80 20 rule. It's that minimum amount of stuff, those few basic principles that you just, no matter what you do, you're applying that. 
And that took me a lot of years to really grasp and understand. And when I did, it didn't just make like my training better. It made me a better coach because I could, you know, find the, the important things to focus on anytime I was working with somebody who was struggling. Mm. Yeah. And I think it, especially in now that, uh, it, you know, TikTok's a thing, like the attention span of the market seems to be getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's tough to have those conversations, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast in the first place is because we get to jump into these concepts and topics in a way that like we would be training partners, right? Like in between sets, it's like, oh, I feel like I need to do this, 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 this is what my program says, but fuck, my dog just died. I just got into a car crash. Like there's all sorts of shit that just happens. But you provide not only the the principles of what you're they're trying to accomplish or the big rocks, but you all have also really helped with understanding the decision making and the ones and zeros that go into how to adjust and pivot off of that. So like, for example, like even with your training, you're like, okay, if I'm supposed to hit this number for this Renny reps, if it's not there that day, adjust understand what's coming up around there. Was it shitty sleep? Was my nutrition out of whack? Was I, whatever. But that's the hard part about being in the position that you're in because you get all these questions all the time. I can't fucking fathom how many questions you get about how come this isn't working or what should I do next? Or that, And it's just yeah. from your perspective, I know from my perspective, my brain goes, holy shit. Like I don't even have enough information to warrant a genuine response. Right. So what sort of stuff do you kind of, you must deal with that on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, I do get a lot of, a lot of questions and I mean, my audience, the people that connect with me directly that are either part of the Patreon or on the Facebook group, the base strength group I run. Um, there's a really cool community there and they're constantly giving questions. Most of them are surprisingly mature. Mm -hmm. So it always helps when you have a con a, a question that is, it's the right question asked the right way. Most of the time, especially when you're appealing to the masses, you get a lot of questions either asked the wrong way or they're not very good questions to begin with. And then you have to, that's what takes the most work because you have to make assumptions about the person. You have to kind of come up with this flow chart. Well, it depends. If this is the case, then maybe X, Y, Z, and also maybe not. And then if this is the case, you know, then maybe over here, this is what you got to look at. And so, so it does get tricky. The, the questions that are impossible to answer that always lead to, it's like, how many times can I say it depends mm. without, you know, people just shutting off my channel. Um, but when people want to know, you know, what's the best blank, you know, what's the most optimal blank? Um, what's the best powerlifting program? What's the best exercise selection? What's the best way to turn my uh, pinky and get a certain degree of supination when I'm doing a one-arm dumbbell curl? Like optimal in that sense is like greatly misunderstood. And again, it's intuitive to think that there are better and worse ways to do things. But those decisions are connected to so many different variables that ultimately become very individualized. And that's why I always just go back to beating the drum about the the or, uh, the, the base level stuff that makes the biggest impact that most people are, are just likely to not be doing very well. Mm. Yeah, and that's it, it's funny because the majority of the questions that I've received when I was at Elite or even now, it's like just stay with something and gain some information mm -hmm. from it, right? Like there, yes. there's, there's a lot of people that are jumping from one thing to the next and they wanna do all the things. And one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from one of your videos, I think you were going over uh, a peak that one of your strongman competitors is doing 
Um, I forgot what video it was. I actually used it myself. Fucking fantastic. Because I had an event that was very similar to those. And I'm like, I'm just going to fucking run this and see how yeah. this goes. <laughs> Went very well. Uh, but you were saying how the more, like obviously the closer you got to competition, the more specific that you got. But to have you actually visually go through that in terms of your program from the base to that specific shit was, was like one of those aha moments and be like, because we had, we had talked about having that imposter syndrome and just kind of thinking about that when you're a coach and it's like, all right, athletes time to peak. It's like, what do I fucking really take out? And you went over that and it was awesome. Uh, yeah. And I'm happy that worked out well for you. Um, yeah, man, the imposter syndrome is crazy because when you're coaching somebody, it's kind of, and even if I know better, I still try to attack it as if like I am responsible for everything that goes on. And even if there's things that are out of my control, in some sense, I am still responsible. So you always try to pull yourself or spread yourself thin to, to do more than you really have direct control over because you want them to get the best possible outcome. Um, but yeah, it, the going from like a base side phase, trying to work into a direct specific peak. Um, again, a lot of individual variables there, but um, if you focus on the, the main stuff, the foundational stuff, as long as you're working hard, as long as you're not over, uh, over stressing yourself, you're not short on recovery, as long as you're eating enough, as long as the big things are hit, you're going to have this nice little just cruise right into the pocket where you feel all that work you did, all that strength you built, start to apply itself specifically to these things you need to be really, really sharp at. And in strongman, that's, that's just so much more important because there are so many different things and many of the things, cause you can't train for everything at once. So many of the things you do uh, in a contest are going to be things you're not familiar with. You're not, a lot of it's coordination. You're not coordinated with this thing because you've never done it. And it's almost like your first time lifting a barbell, you know, the first time you do a finger finger, it's horrible. Oh, and then if you're, oh, if you, um, it, yeah, if you have the luxury of having one to train on every week, it gets a little better. And then eventually, you know, you get a little stagnant, but it's like, okay, now I'm efficient. Now strength is actually the limiting factor and not all of this other stuff. And it's like that for like all the events. So I'm constantly in this cycle for myself, and my clients of trying to, uh, build strength, build size, build conditioning. And then, okay, we got about eight weeks, six weeks, however long to get you really good at these movement patterns. That's about as long as you need before you kind of reach that limit where strength is now the limiting factor and you just have to get stronger. And that's what leads to like misunderstanding of that, or again, it not being explicitly stated while it's actually really, really vital stuff for an effective training cycle. That's what leads people to like sign up for worlds or nationals four months out. And they start their first workout doing a contest run, you know, with like the contest weight. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're going to do, you know, 97 workouts with the same medley at contest weight and get a good result. It's like, no, you need a little bit of organization. Um, and it's the same stuff you pull from textbooks. It's the same stuff that, you know, a lot of it comes from track and field because you're trying to build physical abilities and apply it to this very specific skill. A lot of it comes from Olympic lifting and it follows a very similar approach. So that's kind of the dynamic of getting out of looking at lifting like it's like it's just developmental, which it is. It's very much that. But it's also a skill. And if you can find a way to work that skill component into your decision making um, and see not every workout is just being this bloodbath to tear yourself down as much as you can, but actually refining your movements and getting comfortable and getting these adaptations in kind of a roundabout way just by accruing more good reps, um, it gives you a lot more options mm. and it makes it a lot easier to, to navigate. Yeah, and I and another thing that uh, 
you do a very good job of is, is as you know, and a lot of coaches in the online spectrum or in person, personal trainers, coaches, whatever, like it's a very lonely job, right? Like you're constantly just, you're in your own head over a tendency to overthink every small decision. And it's, it's, it brutalizes younger coaches that are just starting out because it takes them fucking three weeks to make a program and then they're like racing shit. And then mm-hmm. it's just, then if one thing goes south, <laughs> like it's all fucked up, but it's, it's, I think to be able to, it's, it's like, you're the, how I describe this in my head is like, you're the big brother to coaches that they need to be like, listen, let's have a conversation. Let's figure out what's important and just let's start, let's start there. And I've used it in yeah. my own programming is I'll watch one of your videos again and be like, yes. Yes, this is the big rock. Just fucking pick the big rocks up to start, and then you kind of use that information. But that conversation, that back and forth, I think is what makes really good coaches really good coaches, right? Because you're constantly getting that input from your athlete, from your client, from whatever, and you're filtering it through your lens of of knowledge and experience. But also, like, every person kind of needs a little something different. Like I'm sure you have clients that it's like, all right, you need to fucking hammer the gas pedal and other clients. It's like, I'm hammering the fucking brake Cause they are just, it, they will blow themselves up six weeks out from a meet. Yes. And finding that right dosage of consistent application where it's like, I don't care how you're feeling today or whatever. Like this is a program. This is the amount of work. You have to find a way to mold yourself to what you're doing, you know, make it work there has to be a good amount of that, but it can't be just that. It's a very like Zen balance where you have two things that are kind of contradictory, but they have to be true at the same time. So yeah, it's like you need this fixed, this fixed mark for your people to hit and you have to be kind of uncompromising. But at the same time, there are individual factors. If you're giving every person the same template, you know, that's not really coaching. In fact, I offer a service separate from coaching. I mean, coaching has weekly check-ins and all that, and I'm watching videos and I'm giving feedback day to day. I offer a 12-week template that's individualized. So people send me all their information. I look it over. I have like three dozen different base templates I can look at, and I rearrange them based on the equipment they have. And, you know, okay, well, let's shift the deloads around because, you know, you're newer, you're not very strong, you don't have to deload very often or you know, maybe, oh, you have, you know, an 850 deadlift. It's like, I'm not going to push you into the weeds very often because you're going to fall apart a lot easier. So I'll make decisions like that. And that's a head trip because I know I'm offering more value than if I just gave, you know, some people just have one template and it's, you know, 20 bucks link in my description. So I know I'm giving more value than that, but I still beat myself over the head because with that one questionnaire and that one conversation, I want to have like a perfectly put together 12 week program that just fits right in the pocket for what this person needs. And it's not really possible to do. So the takeaway, and I try to get this to come across to the people that take me up on that is that this is my educated idea based off all my experience of what would work well for you. It's not necessarily about looking at this thing and saying, I need to walk this, this razor thin tightrope. It's about looking at the organization and training, looking at the important stuff. How much stress am I getting each week? What's my frequency? What's my intensity? Like how often am I getting really heavy? How often am I backing off? You know, what's my reset look like? Is that very frequently? Is it not very frequently? That's the big stuff. And if you can, you said something perfect, like five or 10 minutes ago, um, taking some information away from what you did. 
And that's probably the biggest thing that new trainee, new trainees who are training on their own don't do right is really keep track of what they're doing. It's not, you don't have to log everything like a nut job, like you can, but you don't necessarily have to, you just have to pay attention enough so that you can put together this good, um, this good kind of complete picture that fits with the things that you need because everybody's recoverability is different. You know, everybody's durability is different psychology. That's a big thing. Mm -hmm. So if you can pay attention enough to be like, Oh man, you know, when I, when I move that deload from every, you know, fourth week to every third week, Oh my God, I could go so much harder on my on weeks or when I, you know, my joints were falling apart. When I took my frequency from three times a week down and one times a week down, I thought I was going to lose all my gains, but Holy crap, I feel so much better. I can go so much. There's little things like that. You'll have these epiphanies. You just have to do the same thing long enough to make those, those decisions. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a trip to try to do that for other people, especially from afar. Um, but the, the conversation is important because you as a coach don't have infinite control over what happens. You just have to kind of hope that you give enough insight so that in the future they can pay it forward and make better decisions. Right. Yeah. And I, I used to do that as well, like make these 12 week templates. And I'm always like, I, I can see myself doing it is as soon as they want this 12 week thing, I'm like, all right, this week leads into this week leads into this week. And then I'm just like, okay, what if something goes wrong? And then I'm just fucking twisting and twirling in the wind, just being like, Oh God, like, then it's almost more of a hat of a pain in the ass than what it's worth. Because then it's like, just fucking sign for coaching. Let me just have conversations with you. Cause I'll be, <laughs> I'll be checking in with your ass anyway. <laughs> I might yeah. as well make it a relationship. It's like we're not saving ourselves any money. Cause I've actually <laughs> been in that position where I've had somebody four weeks in they're like, this isn't working. And I'm like, yeah, it, I, I let's say I have a thousand people that sign up. There's probably going to be 200 that have some issue with it and that's generous right so on a it's more of an odds game it's it's uh it's it's a numbers game with how we apply this stuff so if you're just right more often okay that's pretty good and then you can apply that to a population and get a generally good result you're not going to bat a thousand nobody does mm -hmm. so I've, I've been in that situation somebody pays me you know 97 dollars for a 12-week template and three weeks later I'm like, no, 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 give me your program back. What'd you do? Okay, I'm rewriting it. I'm staying up late at night. Like, what did I fuck up? Uh, how can I make this better? Because you always have that. And it's not just your reputation. It's not just business. Like, it matters to you that this thing goes off right and this person has a good experience. So you end up holding yourself accountable for kind of more, more than what you can. But you're right. It, it almost becomes like, it almost becomes like a hassle because it's, uh, it's not quite as refined or nuanced as it needs to be. And that's the benefit of the coach. It's the weekly check-ins. Because the way I think of running an effective program, I think of it as like being in a whitewater rapids. Like you're in your raft, everything is moving. For as long as you're on that thing, the geography is never the same. The course is never the same. You're constantly being thrown new obstacles. You have to be able to adjust aggressively and with purpose and direction on the fly. You have to be able to do that continuously. So it's this river that's running that you're trying to navigate through. And you, you're everybody who needs help is going to benefit the most when it's week to week to week. You know, what did you do last week? How to go? What's our plan next week? How are we going to shift you to, to get over there? So, uh, it, yeah, no, I feel you on that. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a great point to kind of reiterate for people because I think a lot of the times when someone pays for an, an online or a remote coach, they think that like kind of what I said before is like the program is the secret sauce, but it's like, no, it's the conversations that you have 
in between workouts. If shit comes up, you can bounce ideas off of them, right? They are the guide. They are guiding you. They're the co-pilot to this fucking disaster. <laughs> it's like our job is to be able to help facilitate that growth and kind of bridge them to where they are from where they are to where they want to be, but in a way that is safe for them, that is effective for them, and that they don't have to waste as much time. You're just uh, in a position where you can help people save their time, months, years of their life, just kind of flailing around. And I think that's the biggest takeaway if you're going to hire somebody is like, you need to be able to A, have conversations with them, be honest with them, and realize that they are a part of your team, right? Like it's, it's a back and forth situation. It's like, just because someone hires you doesn't mean that you're just going to know all the answers right off the rip. And that's what I, and that's why I like to tell people when I start working with them is like, listen, this is like, let's get three months under our belt, see where we're at. Right. Because if we can assess, we can do whatever yeah. after that. But it's we, I need to gain information. It's like, you've been you your entire yes, life. Absolutely. Right. Like, you know how you react yeah. to things, you know, your schedule, you know, how fucking, if you eat whole, whole grains, you shit your pants, like whatever little nuances you have in your life as the coach, you're in a position. It's like, I need to learn you. Yeah. And, uh, God, um, there's a cultural thing too, because as much as we need that, we need to go across that learning curve and figure out information about the person. Um, there's also like, it's not all on us. You know what I mean? It's very much a, a partnership. Like you said, there, it's a team and we have to be able to communicate back and forth. But at the end of the day, it falls on the lifter to execute, to understand the plan, to know the big important things they need to hit and to hit those things week to week to week with minimal deviation. And there's, I really regret that in lifting, uh, that there is not like a hierarchy, like there isn't like martial arts. Like I swear there needs to be like a colored belt system or something. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate because I, I think everybody's experience would be better. I think you get a lot more people getting the really important stuff out of lifting. And that's the stuff that I care about the most. It's not squatting a thousand pounds. It's the dedication, the discipline, the consistency, the, the kind of mentally stimulating game of keeping track of all these variables. Like you're trying to, you know, juggle chainsaws. And that's what I like to get out of it. And people would get that in spades if they were going to places that were more kind of formally structured and you knew who to defer to, who's been around the block. And it's like, oh, that guy's been here six weeks. He's going to come up, give you information, tell him to shut the fuck up. Um, that's what a lot of us get exposed to. We end up recycling bad information because anybody that's been working out for a day, it's like, well, if I've been here a day longer than you, let me tell you how it is. And it's, it's really unfortunate. So there's some cultural stuff that exists. And I think platforms like this is it's going to be very valuable because every coach you talk to you can ask them a question it's like what's the biggest problem you have with clients i know what my list is when people submit a questionnaire and i see you know a couple things i'm like this isn't going to be a good fit because either goals aren't lining up right or your expectations it's like you're not going to run a marathon instead of powerlifting record like um you're not going to live in a 300 calorie surplus and hit all of these elite numbers you want to hit you know unless your genetic, you won that genetic lottery, which, you know, very few people do. That's why it's rare. That's why it's a record. So that there definitely has to be a, a little bit of correcting. And I think it's great now for as much shit as there is in the fitness community. I think the good voices now are standing up ahead of everything. And it's giving more of like a true North for people to look at. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my hope is that more people are going to have that experience sooner. And like, I'm interested in your perspective. Like you coach people, 
Like, what's the biggest thing, you know, what's the short list of things that just absolutely drive you crazy as far as habits that new trainees have or that people that are kind of soliciting you for your services have where it's like, you're just, how many times do I have to set people straight on this? Like, what do you experience with that? Yeah, it's funny because I think the biggest issue that I run into is that people come into the situation thinking that their goal is one thing. And then once we go down that path, they're like, wait a minute, this kind of sucks. It's like, that's fucking what you want. I can't read your mind, right? Because they're always in a position and and I actually have a counseling background. So luckily enough, I can have conversations and and I, I know how to deal with fucking crazy people which is who I work with most of the time anyway. Uh, but it's, it's more valuable than knowing programming in the field. Well, it's, it's interesting because it, it's all about giving them what they want. They say they want, but really understanding what they really, really want at a deeper level. Right. So one, even one of the questions I ask is like, all right, well, if I get a new client and they're a power lifter, it's like, all right, I want to hit this total. I'm like, okay why? And they're like, what? Wait, what? (laughs) I was like, yeah, I just want to know the reasoning behind your decision-making to want to go through this process. Because if it's like, Hey, my girlfriend just broke up with me. I'm a fucking disaster. Fucking 1500 pound total is going to make me feel like a man is like, all right, I'll give you fucking three weeks. And then you find another girl and all of a sudden you're fucking fine again. But like, if it's, I need to know what the real drive behind things are. So I mean, I, a lot of the times I, I send a questionnaire out to people. And like you said, if I see it's like one word answers, I'm like, fuck me. Like if they're not even, if they're not even willing to go through that process, what makes you think that they're going to be willing to do the work they need to when it gets hard, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and that's, uh, I'm going to steal that actually. That's really good. Like asking people why they want to do what they want to do. That's that's a beautiful question. Cause I have a questionnaire. It's probably like 12 questions. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to start adding to it as time goes on because the more information you get, yeah, you can help them better, but you can also help both of you if it's not going to be a fit. Like, I don't want to take your money if you're not going to be, um, if you're not going to be like kind of where I need you to be Mm -hmm. to get what you want out of it. And you're right. Lifting is very much a consumer culture and this is, you know, this is the bit of content that I put out that nobody wants to listen to because of me just being salty and going off <laughs> on rants about the state of the industry. It's very, it's very um, uh, low calorie density content that I put out <laughs> when I start to go that route. So I try to, I try to keep it to a minimum. But lifting is very much a consumer culture. It's the promoters don't make money off of advertising or spectatorship the way they make money off of entry fees. So the athletes are the ones who are putting the bill to keep the sport going. So that immediately creates a consumer dynamic. Whereas other sports, the athlete is the commodity in this sport. The athlete is the customer and we have a society that's very consumer driven. It's very much the customer is always right. So people get used to kind of hearing the right thing repeated back to them because they're all sales pitches trying to get money from them. And it leads to a bit of a dysfunctional dynamic. And I think unfortunately a lot of unrealistic expectations because people are kind of used to being uh, told that. And the thing is the word want means very different things in very different contexts. If you have no skin in the game, if you have no expectations, if you're not going to sacrifice anything and you're going to get exactly what you want, it's like, well, of course I want, you know, a house made of solid gold and I want a fountain in the back that, you know, shoots Nesquik. Like how much work are you going to do 
to get this goal? And once you start to ask that question, like, okay, what am I willing to sacrifice to get to this thing? And every time you add a little bit of stress, you, you put it out a little, oh, it's going to take you another year. Oh, it's going to take a little more work. Oh, you're going to have to sacrifice work or relationships, or you're going to be tired. You're going to have to do this training that's really hard that you hate doing. The, the more you pile onto that, which is required for most people to get the goals that they espouse, you see people drop off very quickly. And there's also a framing issue with what progress is, like what people should be looking towards, because everybody gets inspired by the highest performers, and that's what they want to do. And you see it in every sport. I've I've been close with guys that ran CrossFit gyms, every new person, you know, every fifth kid that shows up, I want to go to the games, MMA gym, every fifth guy thinks that they're the next UFC champion. And it's like, there's 7 billion people on the planet. You can't all be champions. So if you have an individual who started out with, you know, way to the left side of the bell curve, you know, 92% of the population is stronger than you are. If you slide over to the right to where you're kind of the strong guy, you're the guy that lives in any gym, that's fucking huge. That's life-changing shit. That's big for your self-esteem, your physique, your health, your sense of what you're capable of. That's fucking massive. Um, but a lot of people, again, their wants don't quite line up. They have goals that are either unreasonable or it's like they don't really understand how every standard deviation you move to the right requires exponentially more input to get there. So if you're starting out the process with your list of things I'm not willing to do, you're not going to get very far and that's okay. Cause it's not, you know, being a champion isn't for everybody definitionally. So I think there's so much that everybody can get out of this field, but I think it's really imperative that everybody is very realistic with what they want, why they want it. And if you can get right with that, everything becomes easy. If you can get really right with that end goal with why you want it, everything becomes so easy. So I'm, I'm actually jealous of your background because having, I think having a degree in like psychology or having a background in counseling, anything that has to do, like you said, dealing with fucking crazy people, <laughs> but being able to interpret what people said, it's like talking to a toddler, right? Yeah. You're talking to a three-year-old, the mom like intuitively knows, like you said gibberish, but I read it as, you know, I don't like that, you know, give me something else to eat or whatever. Um, but that kind of interpretation, that empathy that you have with the person where you can kind of pull out meaning of what they were saying, that is so hugely important in this field. But I, it, it's also a, a, to be able to have that in a situation with, when you're working with a client that may not, uh, that may be difficult, that may be whatever, like giving them a, 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 the sense of a choice is like, do you want the blue pajamas or the red pajamas, right? It's like, it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like there's always a situation where it's like, just give them a choice and then like, it's really not a choice, right? But to go back to exactly, your to yeah. go to go back to your point in terms of uh, like the timeline of success and growth and change, like the realistically most people should compete two maybe three times a year in powerlifting maybe until they get really strong and then if they did that they'd fucking explode, but like realistically I think people don't realize especially in powerlifting right because it's like if the greatest power lifter of all time competed twice a year, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, it's like, what? Yeah. it's like, why are you trying to compete five, six times a year? You're literally just getting worse and worse every time. Because they're, they're not, it's because they're paying as the institution is set up. This is how it's designed. They're paying for the plastic trophy. Yeah. And that's what it is. And that's why I've been in exactly one powerlifting meet. And I love powerlifting. A lot of people, I started going to this gym in um, San Antonio. There's two gyms I go to. They're both great. I want to give them a shout out. 
Uh, Strength Built New Braunfels, I love it because it's kind of in a remote area. It's always empty. There's some really, really good athletes there. Some really good Jordan Pellick and uh, Richie Moxie Gemba are both amazing strongmen. So it's cool to be there. Has every piece of equipment you ever want. It's also empty. But then I started going to heavy metal in San Antonio because it's closer to my house. And the owners are super nice. The gym's smaller and it's packed. And there's this really cool environment. Um, shit, I'm not caffeinated enough. Where, where was I going with this story? Um, no, so so I'm at I'm heavy metal and there's a ton of powerlifters there. There's really dense powerlifting culture. And one of the guys comes up and he's like, he's kind of ragging on me a little bit, like in a real friendly way, but he's like, he's like, man, I swear you, you like, you got a chip on your shoulder with powerlifters. Cause I have a handful of videos that have sure. come out and they've been critical. I try to keep that shit to a minimum. I try to do like 10 educational videos to like one, <laughs> you know, I had a bad experience with somebody and now I'm going to go off on a shower rant because, you know, I got a vent, whatever. Um, but I had to like kind of respond like, it's not because I like hate powerlifting. People think I don't like powerlifting. I love powerlifting. It was my first introduction into the world of strength sports. I mean, I remember I started getting interested like 99, 2000. I remember staying up till 3 a.m. to watch the Mountaineer Cup because I found out they were broadcasting it on ESPN2 in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And it was like at Con, and it was um, so, some amazing lifters. And I was like a teenager and I was just taken with it and that was the only avenue there was no youtube there was no social media um the best you could do were bodybuilding magazines and powerlifting usa was even hard to come by at the time and i just remember like how that shaped my decision making i knew i'm like strength that's what i'm here for that's what i want like okay getting bigger get muscular that's kind of cool but i'm comfortable not being that big i'm comfortable not being that lean but I want to be as strong as possible. I knew that very early on. I love powerlifting. That's the reason I am so critical of it. Um, and that criticism, it's to try to get the the sport to be what it could be. Mm -hmm. And it's it's really gone hard in the paint towards that appealing to the consumer. Where I, the first meet I ever went to, I went to a US uh, USPA meet because there were a lot of them in California. And I just, I'll never forget the meat director walking in with a U-Haul box filled to the brim with gold medal first place trophies, twice as many trophies as you had people competing mm -hmm. and the number of divisions and uh, the, the odds that you're going to be in a division by yourself because you can enter into four different classes and, and do well. I'm also going to do bench only. I'm also going to pay extra to do push pull, whatever. Um, that That's kind of what drives the sport. And that's what leads to this kind of manic, like when you're brand new to it, you know, you're in that honeymoon stage and you get lit up every time you see a meet and you're just so excited to get in and, and relive that experience. And the reward you get from getting some type of validation, getting that token, like you did good today from somebody else. It's really huge. And it drives those, those people. And that's why you get people that want to sign up to every goddamn meet that pops up. And again, it goes back to what do you want a year, five years, 10 years from now, what do you want? You want to keep reliving the same moment because you enjoy getting that little token or do you want to get a plan together, stay out of a meet long enough that you might actually be in danger of growing and then come back and kill it next year. And then repeat that like three or four times until you're actually elite. Um, and again, that goes back to what I was talking about before having a hierarchy and people understanding um, not just their wants and needs, but who to look towards to, to get to it. That, that, that's my long rant about no, the, I, the I, state I, of no. strength sports. <laughs> I love it, right? Because the powerlifting community is 
subdivided amongst groups, subdivided mm-hmm. amongst federations and all this shit, right? It, it mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of, it actually doesn't even remind me of, of Strongman. There's, Strongman has its own beef, has its own shit going on. But one of the biggest things about being in powerlifting versus competing in Strongman, which I love Strongman above all other things. It was my passion first and foremost. Powerlifting programming is so fucking boring. <laughs> it's so fucking boring. I get so bored with the shit. And if I love it and I, I still get bored, if you don't love it and you get thrown into like, this is what powerlifting programming is, they're not going to fucking do it, right? They're going to sell their yeah. donut socks and SBD belt or whatever the fuck that everybody's wearing. And they just, it's just not something that's, that they really are doing it for the right reasons, right? Like your first meet, you get X totals, and then your next one, you get a little bit more and more and more. It hasn't even gotten hard. Like training hasn't even gotten hard yet. It's just like, just show up, wear a singlet, and all of a sudden the numbers go up. It's like, you've never get gotten to the point where you're really running into the wall. And I felt that in Strongman. I was like, yeah. it, it's like the only way to get better at a max distance event. <laughs> It's to fucking do it. Get into the weeds. Over and oh, just run your fucking head into that wall. Just keep going. A couple more mm-hmm. steps, a couple more steps. And it's like, I look at something like that, and then I look at someone's like, oh, well, I have to do, I have to squat six times this week, followed by bench 14 times this week. Like, it's like, dude, it, it's just, I I think it's it's very easy for people to just kind of, throw rocks at other shit when it's like you've never really put yourself in that position to train that way or even you you haven't even fucking started training until it's hard right strongman literally is the is is so fucking awesome because it constantly reminds you how fucking weak and slow and shitty you are as a human <laughs> and because then you have like the 231s like you guys just fucking putting up shit i'm like stop i go just fucking stop putting that weight up over your head let us all catch up this is bullshit yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's nutty. Um, I mean, to, to go into the first part, uh, about variety and monotony. Absolutely. I mean, some of the hardest training you can do, the most productive training you can do for powerlifting, eventually at least it's going to get specific and it's very rote and repetitive. And especially if you're not doing like PR driven training, which is really sexy and you look forward to throwing on big weight every week, but to make it sustainable, it's gotta be a lot of volumes, gotta be dialed back. It's gotta be just doing the homework. And that does get very monotonous. And again, if you're not clear with what you want, you'll get halfway through a cycle and you're like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the some of the volume work I started incorporating when I grew the absolute most, I probably went through one of my biggest growing phases last year. I mean, it was still during the shutdown. My wife was working from home. I was working from home, living in a one bedroom apartment, which was really fun. Um, but that's when I had my gym in Redlands and she would, even when she did have to go in, you know, once once a week or whatever, she would meet me after work. We'd be in the gym for three hours and it was legitimately three hours of work. Rest periods would get long. You know, you take 10 minutes in between squatting, deadlifting, whatever, but we would do 10 exercises, five to six sets, each one repetitive work, a couple compounds, a couple variations, a couple unilateral things, a couple isolation things all the way down. And I grew like a, a goddamn weed. And that's after that's on the back end of 20 years of training. Mm-hmm where it's like, everything's been the same diet's been the same gear regimen's been the same. Why did I grow now? It's like, Oh, because I was doing more of a lot of the same shit. 
But the thing worth pointing out is that you can't have your foot on the gas like that every week of the year. Those cycles, when it does get monotonous or when it, you are just pushing it, that has to be a self-contained period of training, a temporary period of training. Where And it works best when your motivation's highest. It works best when you're, uh, I was getting ready for some of the biggest meets that I'm like, I have no business going to this meet. Why? How the hell am I getting invited to America's Strongest Man? Or how am I going to Worlds with world record holders, with guys from fucking Ukraine and Australia and the UK, some of the best lifters in the world? And I'm just like, I, I panicked. I'm like, I have to show up here. And that's where you start sacrificing. But it's got to be part of a plan. And the question of like how you in, insert variety into your training, it's a, I could do a lecture series just on that topic because it gets very interesting from the psychological aspect. How much variety do you need to actually give a shit about what you're doing? And to the credit of something like the conjugate, I understand why it works. It's not just physical adaptation. You're including all this stuff. But psychologically, you keep people invested in what they're doing because it's rotating. There's um, how much variety and what type of variety you need when you go from one block to the next. Well, I'm doing, you know, this contest was just all static events. This next one, I have like three death medleys and a max Husfeld stone. Okay, what type of work do I have to do to get better at that? So so that's a very interesting point. But then getting into what you talked, there, there's a funny, um, you brought up like max distance carries. And uh, somebody asked me in, uh, I want to say on the Facebook or Patreon group the other day, they're like, what's your favorite lift and event and why? And then with Strongman, I have to say, like, I fucking hate all of them. <laughs> like, yeah, right. there's this love hate <laughs> There's this love-hate relationship I have because every event I either suck at or it hurts eventually. You know, it plays into some overuse issue. Like, I can only do yoke walks so many times before I just feel like ass. Like, I lost my bicep to a tire flip, so of course I hate that. Things I can't train for, fingal fingers. I don't have a fingal finger. I hate that event because right. I'm not good at it because I can't train. But at the same time, that's why I love it, and that's why I glue myself to it. But long distance, I had to say, honestly, suck fests. Husfeld carries, medleys bag medleys, death medleys. And the reason is because to get better at them, you have to live in that threshold. And the strongest guys absolutely hate it. Shout out to uh, Frank Provenzano. Frank's a buddy of mine. Uh, he, uh, he he deserved it. He, he's a freak. He's a 231. He can like triple an 800 pound deadlift, like without a suit, without a hitch, a nasty deadlifter, very strong, very explosive. Um, and I've handled Frank in a couple of contests because he'll come in and win the deadlift, do very well in like an overhead or something, but then he'll go like 90 feet in a Husfeld carry. <laughs> and it's funny because it's great. He's, he's, my wife's like in love with like his girlfriend because um, she's, they're both, I think they're both Puerto Rican, but she's like following his girlfriend. And it's funny because his girlfriend Cassie will like ream him out. Like you guys are skipping the chain dragon training. You guys are doing your deadlifts and then going home. Like you're not doing the work. So I love to give Frank shit over that because Frank can deadlift like 200 pounds more than I can. It makes me look like a child when we lift. But then we get to a carry and it's like, those are my favorite events because that's trainable. I don't have to be a genetic specimen. If I'm one of a few guys that are willing to go into the goddamn weeds and suffer, endurance is extremely trainable. You get better every single week. It doesn't tend to interfere with the rest of your lifts that much. So I can do 400 foot carries with a Husserl stone until I feel like I'm suffocating and I pass out and I can get an edge over better guys. Um, yeah, so, th so that's um, that. just that point you brought up about the front carries made me think of that. And a lot of strongmans like that, which is why I keep coming back. Mm. Because it's like there is a way into the back door, you know what I mean? Like like it's, you have to be well-rounded and multi-varied uh, multi and uh, willing to suffer, man. You can get an edge on a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And, and it's <laughs> to bring up your point about all the lifts you hate, is you can tell a new competitor 
is new because they're like, I love deadlifting. I love it's just like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> no, no, you don't. You won't. Um, but, but, <laughs> no, you don't. But it's it's true, right? Like even as you, you know, graduate from level to level in strongman is like your first meet is, okay, can I do all the events? Right. It's like, then you check that box. Once you get to the level, you're like, oh, I can actually complete a rep in all the events. Fuck. Yeah. Awesome. Now it's like, okay, what are the things I'm better at? Can I possibly get top three in those events? And you just, it's just this common sense, like ratcheting up to higher level competitions where it's like, okay, now it's to the point where I can do all the events. I can probably get top three in most of these events. And then you get thrown into something like a nationals and you're like, back down to the bottom of the pool again. Here, here we um, go. But it's, yeah. I, I love that because that is, it, it's carried me for years, years and years and years. My first fucking contest, Matt Mills was a judge that later became my coach. And I still have to find this video. I didn't know how to clean and press a fucking axle. I did like this scoop thing. And in the video, you see his face. He's like, you need to stop. Like this can't go on any further. But it's, to see there versus to drop into a local show, win it, get your nationals big, go to national. Like it's just this trajectory that if you just stick into it long enough and you love doing it enough, like you do get better. You just get better. Yeah. And the, the grind is the absolute best part. That's been the mm -hmm. most rewarding thing. And it does, it is what separates it from powerlifting um, because it's like the opposite of monotony. You're always being challenged in ways that you're not used to probably not comfortable with, mm -hmm. but, uh, I get a lot of nostalgia these days because I'm not that old. I'm 35. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm getting old, but I have, I have some miles left on me before I, you know, have to start doing like masters divisions with the fat old guys. Um, I, I got a couple years, but I've been doing this for, I've been competing for almost 20 years. I started in Oh five, I think Oh five or Oh six. And I get really nostalgic when I go to shows. Cause I see a lot of the up and coming guys that have been doing it for maybe a year or two. And they've been, they love it. And they're the honeymoon phase and they they live and, and breathe this stuff and they're getting kind of strong. And it's like, Oh, you're middleweight. You got a 700 pole, you got, you know, three thirty log. It's like, Oh, these are really good numbers. You're on your way. That bodes well. And they come in. And when I see them get surprised when the yoke walk doesn't go right, or when they're slow on a transition or when they don't leave enough time on a clean and press rep, their cadence is, is it off because they didn't practice it or they only press for 20 seconds when you're supposed to go for a minute, you know, in the contest people that didn't you know cross all their t's and dot all their eyes but i get nostalgic because that's what drove me in the sport all of those sour grapes i had to eat when i did a show sucked got better came back expecting night and day it's like oh i did one event a little better but then these other things like i shit the bed on i used to love my favorite part was just ruminating over shitty contest performances yeah. where i'd get a print off of the score sheet and i would go line by line and say okay how far away was I from, okay, I took eight out of 11. How far away was I from taking top half? How many points? Mm -hmm. How far away was I from the podium? Okay, where did I leave points on the table? And I would see easy stuff like, okay, well, if I deadlift 50 pounds more, that's points on the deadlift. And also some of the events will be easier. So that's why deadlift is so important because it it's the backbone of everything you do. But then I would see like, holy shit, I, I placed dead last in a farmer's walk literally because... Uh, my transition time was slow, mm -hmm. literally because I wasn't paying attention to my cadence where I, I didn't time something right. You know, stupid shit that you can go like, if I had to do this next week, I would double my performance. 
but that was like the game I always played. And then very quickly you start to see what's really important. Like, yes, getting strong is important, but I know some incredibly strong people that are in no danger of ever becoming a pro because they're good at two things, putting things overhead and picking things up off the floor. And that everything else is just a big hole in their game because, you know, it's not sexy to work on foot speed. It's not, it's not fun to, to go into the weeds and kill yourself on an endurance event, to do a farmer's walk into a tire flip into a sled drag. Um, but that's absolutely what you have to do to be good. And uh, I think that's the only reason I'm here right now. As much <laughs> as I say, I hate that shit because I'm tired of sucking at things. And I very much am like, I'm tired of being shitty, but I'm just stubborn. I keep going I'm like, no, no, no. Like I got to sign up for this meet. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like, oh my God, there's a dumbbell press. I'm a horrible dumbbell presser. It's like, no, no, I'm going to be good at it this time. Um, but yeah, there's just that will to, that's a real competitiveness, that will to get better and to glue yourself to the shit you really suck at mm. and hope that you can make something out of it. And it's funny because you kind of touched upon this, but it, you if you are even open to looking at the scorecard, looking at other meets, looking at the performance of others, you start to almost see these standards of performance. It's like, all right, this is what uh, a national level qualifier would do in this event. It's like if, if the yoke is 700 pounds and it's a 60 foot, 50 foot, whatever, it's like, all right, sub nine seconds eight like you can start to kind of see where these performance uh almost kpis are right so now you can kind of look at that in your training and for example you said foot speed if you're if you got your ass kicked on a sandbag carry because of your foot speed is like how do you get better at foot speed you drop the weight of that sandbag and you fucking move faster and you build it up and it almost has this periodization programmed into it if you're because the only way you're going to move faster is you use a lighter bag and you just work up so it's it, it is it's addicting and i remember that because it was very a very vivid memory there was a strongman show and i struggled so hard with a 275 pound sandbag and i was like i am never gonna fucking struggle with a sandbag ever again i i refuse to just be like a monkey humping a football in front of all these people in the middle of but fuck Delaware somewhere just being like, I refuse to, to feel this dumb. My first ever strongman show, an open show was out in at fucking Nick showman's gym in Ohio. So I drove from Rhode Island to Ohio to get absolutely fucking dick stomped by Zach Gallman. And like, I didn't even stand a chance. That's I good. He's unbelievable. And I remember the yoke vividly because it was a 700 pound yoke and everybody was fucking flying. And there I am taking up the whole time the whole time and i'm just like this is crippling <laughs> i'm never gonna let this fucking happen again yeah it, it sits just like in the back of your throat and you can taste it and it's like and i've had many of a ruined weekend there's a, a positive and a negative to being married to somebody who's very invested i think i really think that's the only reason that i i found a partner i found a spouse uh, my wife really likes the fact that I compete. She likes to watch me perform and do well. It's, I mean, obviously it's not as important as like earning an income or being like a decent human being or a responsible <laughs> partner, but it's that little something extra. Like you can really take pride when your partner does something well. So I'm very fortunate that she's invested because all like, we didn't have a honeymoon because nationals was two weeks after our wedding. You know what I mean? And I'm like, Hey, you're, we're going to have our honeymoon in Montgomery, Alabama or <laughs> wherever it was that year. You know, some, some shitty warehouse in, in, in a place that nobody wants to travel to otherwise. Um, and uh, I've, I, I've had quite a few 
ruined vacations because like something like what you described just happened. There was a big show. I thought I could do well. There was something on the line. So of course, you know, a pro card or whatever else, everybody shows up. And then you realize that the low standards you set in training actually didn't cut it mm-hmm. or you have some nightmare of an event. And then it's like, uh, I got three more days in Ohio because I shit the bed at the Arnold. You know what I mean? Or it's like, I, I had to, I was slated to do so well and I fell apart. Uh, we've had quite a few where she, I just get that look of disappointment, that side eye. And then she just looks at the table and I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> but, uh, at the same time, it, it adds life. It adds life to what we do, you know, cause it's not just, just you. There's, there's so much other stuff that goes into it and it makes it more rewarding. You know, on the one hand, it's artificial, it's meaningless, we're a bunch of primates on a rock spinning around, <laughs> you know, the sun for, for a few decades before we die. And we're out here like swinging our dicks around about like what odd objects we can pick up and walk for some arbitrary distance. But the meaning we assign to it, I think, is what makes this so interesting. And it's what gives us the capacity to have it not just improve our physiques or whatever else, but improve our lives. Mm. And so I, and I really believe that. And I don't get really like in my feels that often about it, but um, that's the only reason I've stuck with it for this long is because the rest of my life really is better for doing it. And that's what puts me through all of those really shitty contest performances where I'll spend two grand to travel only to go, you know, take 11th and have to just shake my head in disappointment. And that's the only reason I've gotten good. Like I'm not in danger of setting a record anytime soon, but I've had some good showings. And all of that is built off of the failures, the shitty performances, the hard lessons I've had to learn, and just not stopping. And uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to to do something with this. Mm. And and I think that's I mean, you you said it beautifully. But I think one of the best things about competing in strongman and and really being connected to the sport is the community for sure. Like the the community, the the people at strongman events. They'll fucking cheer for anybody. They don't even know what the fuck's going on. They're like, this is the greatest thing ever. I, and I love that. But also, the, the, we kind of touched on it earlier, the skill work, right? It, the, the nuance of, of learning how to do something better. It is so visceral that it's like, I'm bad at this. How do I get better at this? Do it more, but better. Okay, cool. Like I, I, it, and it just, it is. It's, it is so addicting because you have that, you have somebody timing you, you're just fucking ready to go. You fuck it up. You do something stupid. You're like, no, 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 I can do that better. I can do that better. And it's just, it just drives you and motivates you. And to see your performance too, it's like the, the fucking 231 class is unbelievable. Like year, like when I first started strongman, if you had a 300 pound log at 231, you are a strong motherfucker. You are a strong motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, how much uh-huh. did they put over their heads? What the fuck is happening? Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, my rate of progression is so totally slow <laughs> that as soon as I meet these standards, the goalposts have just shifted yeah. to a ridiculous degree. Um, when, when my first contest, I remember the guys that got their pro cards, if you had a 650 conventional deadlift, even if it was suited and hitched and strapped and ugly, if you could stand up with 650 as a middleweight, it's like, give that man a pro card. Mm-hmm. 300 log would absolutely win a show. And then those numbers shifted up and they shifted up and they keep shifting up. I can think of three middleweights off the top of my head that pull 850 or higher. It's unbelievable. Um, it's crazy. I, uh, you have guys like Camby. And I, even in the years I haven't been competing aggressively because I've gone through some ebbs and flows. I've had periods of like stagnation where I was kind of in maintenance mode followed by periods where I was really aggressive and, and really trying to compete. Um, but there's all these middleweights 
so it's a funny thing about weight class stuff. Like I love Strongman, but I also don't care about it. Like I can't remember the last time I watched World Strongest right, Man. Right, right. You get to a certain point where, especially if you're a competitor, you only have so much you can focus on. So like everybody loves the weight class that they compete in. Mm-hmm. The uh, the best, you know, 90 kilogram guys don't know who's in the 80 kilogram class. Um, and, and so we get very kind of self-absorbed and narcissistic. But I focus heavily on the middleweights. Every now and then I do a heavyweight show because it's fun. Yeah. But if I'm paying money because I, I want to do well and put up a good show, that's where I'm competitive. And I've been following all these pros for like the last 10 years just from afar. And like Camby was one. Camby was a guy who was always a threat for the podium, but he always had like a bad event. He wasn't very well-rounded. Um, or he, he just, uh, even if he was a little consistent, everything was just kind of a notch below. His deadlift wasn't very good, um, whatever it might be. And I watched this guy and he's a guy I had a target on because I'm like, like that's kind of the rabbit I'm chasing. I, I think I can hang with that guy if I have one or two more good training cycles. And then Camby, just in the last year and a half to two years, just shot to the goddamn moon. Mm-hmm. And watching this, me- it's like you think when somebody gets that good to be a pro, like, okay, the meteoric rises are over. Now you might go away over so many years and get marginal improvements here and there. He had this like immense shift upwards mm-hmm. where now he's an 800 pound deadlifter. He set the axle and the log record. He has, he has like, he's like jerked 455 off blocks um, as a middleweight. Yeah. He's just incredibly strong. Uh, him and Tommy Sharp both hit like a 275 circus dumbbell, which there are legitimate World Strongest Man competitors that can't do that. Um, absolutely nasty. And this is what I'm trying to chip away at. And it's like, I've been at this for two decades. <laughs> I'm like, at this rate, at this rate, guys are going to just, they're going to be bionic. They're just mm-hmm. going to be coming out. Just, you got Jesse Nelson who can military press 405. Like a middleweight. The guy walks around like 240 and dick skin shredded. Strict press 405 out of a rack. Nope. Like no joke. So yeah, the, the talent. And here, here's the screwed, the screwed thing. Here's the thing that's really fucked. The class still has room to grow. Mm-hmm. And I don't think a lot of people, as good as it's gotten, um, I do a lot of comparisons. People don't like to hear comparisons. There's a bit of like blind positivity in strength sports. Sure. There's some positives to it, but there's also some drawbacks just from a competitive standpoint. Uh if you give any typical athletic criticism or even just an acknowledgement of something like you would in any other sport, mm-hmm. people will like dump on you for being a hater or whatever. It's, right, it, it's right. kind of weird. Like people insulate themselves, their favorite lifters a lot. The fact is as big as women's divisions has gotten, as big as the weight class divisions have gotten, if you compare the best heavyweight strongmen in the world to the best power lifters and Olympic lifters, they don't have much room to grow you know, their deadlifts are about as high as they can get mm-hmm. their overhead abilities, their athleticism. We know what the prototypical heavyweight strongman looks like. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find just kind of different flavors of that same model. The middleweights can jerk as impressive as that is to us. That's a hundred pounds less than what the world's best Olympic lifters are going to do. Right. You know, you get Klokov like push pressed 500 pounds, <laughs> yeah. you know? So when you get the real genetic freaks, when the sport grows enough and it starts to pull more and more people in, like you have guys like John Hack who can deadlift, you know, walking around at 215 as a 900 pound deadlift to powerlifting standards. Mm-hmm. Um, once these guys start to infiltrate, that's going to be the norm. And I'm like keeping my fingers crossed that I can like suck out a good placing before that happens yeah. because my ability to exist in the field, it's diminishing by the day. I mean, I think guys like Camby are going to be kind of the standard in a couple of years if the, if the sport uh, continues to grow the way it is. No, I, I completely agree. And I've had that conversation a few times. I mean, even look at 
like fucking NFL players, ex NFL players that are just posting up videos on YouTube or posting up videos on their Instagram or whatever. Uh, it's like just benching 500 pounds for reps. No problem. Like no spotters, no nothing. Like just, just, they don't realize how strong they are in comparison to the, the, the strong man world. And it's like, you stay over there. No, 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 you're good. <laughs> you stay over there because it is, it's like, if there was real big money in strongman, I mm-hmm. they the strongest human beings, the real strongest human beings on the planet would come out, you know. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely have absolutely have room to to push that envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm eager, even you know when I get old and broken down and stop competing, I'm eager to see where it goes. One thing I wanted to, since I have the opportunity to talk to you, I wanted sure. to pick your brain a little bit because there's not a lot of people that have uh, have kind of walked on the line between um, uh, competitive strongman, especially since you say you started with that, Mm -hmm. but then you went over and you were kind of influenced by elite FTS and treated a lot of their training. Um, How have you found that kind of influence your, your training at all? It's so funny. um, The, you go. Yeah, you go. Oh, sorry. I was just going to ask like to what extent um, you found tactics carry over. I mean, where, have you applied conjugate to strongman or are you now like what's your evolution been? I mean, what kind of lessons did you take away from? So it's funny because the, uh, the geared lifting is, is something that you can't really do by yourself, right? Because you'll fucking eat it. The other thing is the weights that you need to use to practice the geared lifting are so much higher than you would be able to do raw. Right? So one of the biggest carryovers uh, that I'm having with uh, the geared powerlifting going back into strongman because I'm going to be my last powerlifting meet is going to be November, the end of November, and then I'm switching gears for strongman nationals in Texas. So, welcome back, man. Fucking a, I'm pumped. I, <laughs> I'm fucking pumped. Is it's so funny because before I got into the multiply shit, there were certain numbers and weights where I'm like, oh, that's like. That's a lot. That's scary. Dude, I fucking took a thousand pounds on my back to fucking just unracked it on a bar. And I'm like, oh, any of the weights I have to deal with for fucking nationals aren't going to have that level of fear attached to them. Because I'm like, oh, we've, this really in the grand scheme of life and the grand scheme of things isn't, isn't terribly heavy. Yes, it is heavy for the competitors, for the competition, but like, you know what I'm talking about. Like you have these numbers in your head. Yeah. You're like, Oh fuck. Like that is obliterated. That was the best part about multiply lifting is like, I don't even know what the fuck's on the bar. I can't even count that high because it's like, mm, I'll just put my, just plug in my fucking power pants. And all of a sudden it's like a totally different thing. But also when it comes to things like the yoke or farmers or anything where you're just kind of loading your body, it's like, I've had more reps with six, seven, eight hundred pounds, just unracking it and just holding it there at a, at a it, more than most strongman competitors would, right? Just because that's the nature of the sport. Yeah. Having five, six hundred pounds in your hands on a bench is like it's not getting direct carryover to strongman, but it's also kind of kicking away that fear of, oh no, it's a two seventy five or two eighty five pound log for reps or whatever, you know? And it's like, oh, it's like let me get my own head out of my ass. And let's get into, you know, just real training. So I would say that that has been the biggest carryover for me is to take that stigma of certain numbers out of it. 
right? Like when I first started strongman, having, like you'd said, a 600 pound fucking deadlift, you're the fucking man. Now it's a 600 pound axle for reps at nationals. And it's like, oh, that wasn't this. That's a different animal (laughs) than what they were doing several years ago. Right. Because I took a little hiatus to work on, I I moved to Ohio. I, I, I was kind of focusing on the career more and like, I did nationals in Detroit in 2018, I believe. And now to look at it in fucking 2023, I'm like, Oh, okay. Just kind of the same ideas. Like you just kind of got to kind of get used to what the norm is now. But in terms of the, the conjugate stuff, I we're, I'm not even running that much of a, even at, at, at elite, I wasn't running much of a conjugate program. It was surprisingly linear because I had to learn how to use the gear. I had to learn how to get into the, get into the briefs, get into the suit. It, fucking benching in a fucking sh- in a shirt is the most frustrating thing on the planet because you'll have a great day, and then a week later, it's like you've never had that fucking thing on before, and it's like this is awful. So I think it's also helped me appreciate strongman more because the variables <laughs> there aren't as many equipment variables when it comes to those and it's like okay this is a lot more simple to train i don't need a, a squad of six people and about four hours of my life to train this um but yeah no it, i've taken a lot of good things out of it i've taken things out of it that i'm like mm, i'm not gonna be kind of using that going forward and and frankly even just the conjugate stuff like i don't I take, even when we were training there, it was just always more of a linear progression, just kind of going from week to week. Because again, it's like we, we, we had to, I, and I was in a different place than everybody else, right? Dave and the older guys can run full conjugate programs because they're not really training for anything. Me, I have to slip this suit on. I have to understand how to use it. And I have to peak strength at the same time. So it's, it's, it's allowing me to get back into my roots of training and it allowed me to feel like a, a real rookie again. Cause I'm like, I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this stuff. Are my pants on right? Like, I don't know how to fucking do any of it. So it's, again, it's kind of refreshed my love for strongman because it's like, I, this stuff is, I, I just love it. It reminded me why I loved it in the first place. And I, I can see the, increased appreciation or I guess the increased ability to handle like skill and technique work because it seems so daunting to the average lifter to spend the time figuring out how to turn a farmer's walk handle or how to pick a bag or how to do all of these things. But the amount of not just time, but time paired with effort and strain that goes into multiply lifting. I mean, for whatever criticisms I've had in the past, and I've had a few. Oh, they're warranted. It's I fine. do it's have fucking immense... weird. <laughs> <laughs> I, and but everything we do is weird, oh, yeah. right? It's oh, like yeah. I'm just over here in my corner, like, but not my shit. My shit is like, <laughs> the, the, you know, this, this is like the meaning of life over here. I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. Um, no, but I have an immense amount of appreciation for how difficult it is, how much planning. I heard you compare it to NASCAR more than anything, having a pit crew and working the equipment and yeah, the equipment's important, but you still have to know how to use it. That's its own learning thing. Um, so I can only imagine going from that to like, Oh, it's like, I got to do three events and I just like have to do some skill work. Like, and I'm not unencumbered by like three sheets of denim <laughs> or whatever. Like I, I, I can see how it shifts. And that's really important for a lot of people is to know however hard you think you're working, like 
you're not. <laughs> there is always room to increase your your input. Um, for as much as people like to talk about reducing input, be more efficient, optimal, whatever. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. As far as like the the overload stuff, I think that's huge. And you're seeing that a lot more. There's a lot of good coaches and strongman that are taking advantage of partials because mm-hmm. in the world of strength, especially like recreational gym culture, partials are like a dirty word. But you in, increase so stupidly fast to partial ranges of motion and your awareness and sense of the weight changes. And that is huge, especially when you're in these awkward positions. It's one thing to be in an awkward position or be in an inefficient position, but when it robs you of your air and you feel like weak and exposed, your mm-hmm. sense of the weight, it's like, I'm trying to do something dumb like a sandbag press and it's crushing your lungs. Your sense of the weight is everything. And mm-hmm. if you can turn that around, you can get so much more out of your performance. So I know a lot of people that'll do, you know, supports overhead with more weight than they can handle in a push press. And, um, you know, most of strongman is like this short top end hip extension. So your deadlift can suck. Honestly, if you can extend your hips under a lot of weight, that's the only reason I've been competitive because I would deadlift hundred pounds less than everybody. But my lockout is always really good. I don't miss it. Lockout my lie. It'll grind to my knees and then my hips snap through at the top, but that's what carries over to the stone load and the yoke pick mm-hmm. and everything else. And, um, and that was, no, but that's very interesting to hear. And that was one of my biggest issues initially is I lived, my feet were so close on everything, stones, conventional deadlifts, farmers, everything. And then Dave's like, all right, bring those feet out wide. I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> like, I don't want to fucking live out here. This is awful. <laughs> uh, but it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's made me kind of realize that there's just another avenue when I'm building that foundation and sort of that base training is like spend some time out in wider positions, try some sumo, just, just, and I've noticed when I came back in, I was like, it didn't made me worse. If anything, it's, it's made me more efficient because now I'm in a position where I recognize it and I'm, I'm more, you know, comfortable in these positions and doing these things. I mean, even just the other day, I was just fucking around. It was like picking up a sandbag just becomes such a second nature thing if you just do it and I loaded it and I was trying to explain it to somebody else and I was helping them, but it, it's, it's just that rote learning is like, just do it again and again and again and again, and then take some time away, do completely opposite shit and then come back to the other things mm-hmm. that you want to get better at. Right. And it's, it's amazing how much that you grow and develop and change over the course of your training career. And it's especially yours, like 20 years, like you've probably forgotten more shit than the majority of your viewers and listeners have ever fucking learned. So it's, it, it, it's all of these life experiences and lessons. And if anything I've gotten from the, the, the world of multiply powerlifting is like, this is a new thing I tried for a while and it's made me appreciate the things that I'm really, really into. And it's made me just overall better coach because I have more experiences. It's made me a better athlete because I've been able to train different things I wouldn't normally train, but it's time to get back in a fucking strong man after November. Let me tell you that. <laughs> That's cool, man. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to see what you do after all that, all that uh, stuff and that, that ebb and flow, that ebb and flow that you talked about doing it, gluing yourself to it, recognizing you can't do it for six months straight, mm-hmm. take some time away, let yourself clear out, develop some other stuff. You can't train for everything at once, especially as you get more elite, as you get more specialized. And uh, that's, that's kind of the biggest point that I try to drive home to people is like, you don't need a huge amount of complexity. Just pick some things to get good at, figure out how to get good at them. Once you feel yourself improve, take that, apply it to something else. And it's really just 
kind of a gentle back and forth. And if you can do that, you're, you can grow. If you can do that, anybody can grow. That's fucking perfect. Alex, I can't thank you enough, man. Like this is, this was so many years in the making. I've just wanted to have this conversation with you. We could just keep going forever. I'll, I'll have you on again. We got to deep dive in some more shit, um, especially when it gets back. Yeah, to I'd the, love to come back on. The strongman training and everything. And, and just having these conversations, I think, is not only important selfishly for me, because I love having these conversations, but for the people that listen and to know who in the industry is doing it right, who in the industry really gives a shit. There are so many few coaches on the internet that would say that would sell a 12-week program and fucking lose sleep because they couldn't touch base with their clients, right? That in and of itself is, is an amazing just point that people need to know about how much you give a shit about the people you work with, about the information you put out. It's all wildly important for the community to know who you are, what you do, what you put out there. So like I said, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to have this conversation and where can people find you? What are you working on? How can they get more of you? So um, I'm working on expanding my reach, my content frequency a little bit. My main hub where anybody knows me is from YouTube. It's just my name, Alexander Bromley. Um, and through there, I always have links to other stuff. I, I do have a podcast that shows up intermittently, you know, a few times a month. Um, you can just Google base strength podcast on Spotify. Uh, I have a Facebook forum that is absolutely free. The base strength Facebook forum, um, on uh, Facebook, there's a really, really good, um, I think we have like, I don't know, 11 or 1200 members there. But like I said earlier, they're very mature. There's good questions. There's great responses. Mm -hmm. There's people like I'm happy to have speak on my behalf. Uh, if people have questions about the book, you can also check out my books. I have base strength, peak strength, superior deadlift. Those are on my store, empirebarbellstore.com and on Amazon. And then on the store, that's where if you are interested in coaching templates, whatever, you can reach out to me there. A lot of stuff. I got my fingers in a lot of stuff right now. No, absolutely. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no. And like I said, I absolutely uh, thank you so much for having me on, man. This was, this was, this was fantastic. I'm really humbled to be, uh, to have the opportunity to have this conversation. It was great. Oh, well, we're going to be having another one. Don't you worry. Uh, you'll, you'll be a, a frequent flyer here. Um, like I said, just keep doing what you're doing. It's making an impact. And I told Bromley before this for everybody listening, like he is one of the reasons why I was able to, you know, get out to elites and work with Dave and, and just kind of continue on as a coach because of the information that he put out on his own accord. Right. Like that's, it's in, it's having an impact. It's having impact, not only in myself, but the future coaches of the world, the future athletes. It's like, we need to have these hubs of quality information and Bromley, my man, you are fucking one of them. Appreciate that, man. You're too kind. So, guys, thank you very much for checking this episode out. Uh, on behalf of myself and Bromley here, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in the next one.